Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Breakpoint Podcast, episode three, starring myself, Marcus Smith, and my main man over here, Frank Nicolazzi. Frank, what's going on? Nothing much, man. Uh, Marcus and I actually just finished uh, playing some doubles with his dad and one of his buddies and won a pretty thrilling match, I must say. Yeah, it was uh, 6-3, 3-6, 10-8. The the younglings uh, ended up successful. Uh, but yeah, it was some. It was actually some good tennis. Uh, it was some good tennis. It was actually a lot of fun. Uh, we managed to find a public clay court, which was not something that I had really anticipated being able to find. But that's also something we can sort of touch upon and, and brings us into the topic of this podcast. Well, yeah. Well, first of all, the, the word "public" for that court is a little bit. Uh, it's it's debatable. <laughs> no comment, I suppose, on the word "public" there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, folks, today we're going to talk about how to get through the indoor season. Obviously, it's getting a lot colder. Um, tennis bubbles are being put up. Uh, indoor places are starting to kind of ramp up their business. Obviously, this conversation kind of only applies to people living in places where it's cold. Uh, so for those listeners, if we have any listeners in Florida, Southern California, Texas of that nature, um, this is pretty much an irrelevant podcast for you because you're never going to play indoors. However, if you are from the Northeast, like we are, uh, Pacific Northwest, kind of Midwest, anywhere, sort of that sort of thing, um, this could be a relevant podcast for you because you're going to have to start going indoors. And how do you kind of manage through that season? Um, there's usually a limited court time and just the resources all together are more scarce. So it's we're going to review how to kind of go through that. Frankie and I's kind of methodologies, how we go through that. And yeah. So Frank, um, first question that we that we got and topic that we're going to be discussing is how do we find clubs and places to play? Um, let's start out from someone who's a beginner, uh, from a beginner standpoint. How would you? What would you recommend? One would be to really take advantage of public courts in the United States. That's like a really big benefit that we have here that uh, any of our our friends in Europe would would be very envious of. Uh, yeah, for the most but, part, yeah. Yeah, it, 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 it depends. Yeah, but yeah, for the most part, yeah. Yeah, from what I from what I understand, uh, you know, uh, America having free public tennis courts is like a very niche thing that that this country has. So it's it's great that we have it. So you should definitely take advantage of it, and uh, that's a great way to meet people. And and no matter what your skill level is, from you know a, a pure beginner to somebody like Marcus's skill level, you know you'll find somebody to hit with generally. Uh, especially for us in New York City, uh, public courts are pretty much always packed. So you'll be able to find someone and that's a really just the best way to, to make friends and, and find that hitting partner uh, that, you know, worst comes to worst, you two can sort of split an indoor court and, and, and share the cost there and, and you'll have some, some connection. The second way I would say from a beginner point of view is go on to UTR universal tennis rating. Uh, and they have some really nice stuff in terms of events with, uh, with match play, a tournament, um, for all skill levels, you can literally look at the draw, look at the match play, who's playing, look at the UTR ratings and find somebody who is at your level or make sure that you're not going to be like a UTR three going into a 10 plus UTR event and you're just getting, you know, smoked. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah it, like, you know, it, there's things like that. Um, and the last thing I would say would be 
you know, and this is probably not the most cost effective is, is a USTA league, you know, obviously depending on what your rating is in USTA, even at a very, you know, low level beginner, you know, you can, you can find a league that could be for you. And that's pretty much a nice way to, to, again, meet some people, get indoor court time. Um, but that's a little bit more of a roll of the dice and we'll kind of elaborate on, on USTA leagues more, uh, later on in the podcast, but those would be my sort of big three suggestions. Uh, what about you, Marcus? Yeah. So in in my opinion, obviously, um, I think you should go to if we're talking specifically indoors, obviously, if we're going to want to go to the most local club that you can find, um, the one that's closest to you, because at that point you can kind of just, you know, you get your foot in the door, you meet management, you meet whoever's working there, you sign yourself up for some lessons or some groups. Um, and from there you kind of see the great thing about tennis is it's, it's such a social sport that you're always going to meet people and word kind of spreads really quick. You find out who's who, who, you know, who plays where, when they play, oh, they don't play exclusively at this club. They also go to this club to play some matches and stuff. So you kind of like learn the lay of the land sort of. And I think that's, that's pretty important. Um, and that's why I think you should go to a local club first, kind of establish yourself. Um, you know, you can get yourself introduced uh, to the right people. I mean, you know, kind of take it from us, Frank, where we kind of we grew up here in, in Queens. We played uh, mainly, I would say, Alley Pond, Cunningham and North Shore Tennis. These are like the three main clubs here in, in northern Queens. And from there, we kind of found out about all the other clubs that were kind of off, you know, wherever the coaches may maybe, you know, sometimes coaches switch clubs. Uh, and if you really like a coach, you might go switch with them and then you meet some new people. And, you know, that's kind of how it rolls. So that's how I would say, you know, find a go to your local club first see what the level is, see what the situation is. And from there, you kind of can expand your horizons. So, um, and then, yeah. So as far as actually like what you should do to actually play and, and Frank kind of just mentioned this as far as um, UTR, I think that to kind of start, it depend. I think you should go for some group clinics, some group lessons, um, meet some other folks who are kind of on your level see what they do for uh, for their tennis needs, whether or not they play, you know, tournaments, leagues, any sort of thing. Um, and again, tennis is such a social sport. You grab phone numbers, you communicate with each other. Um, you set up your own kind of like maybe hitting sessions and, and whatnot. Um, that's how I always operated as a kid. Um, yep. I've been doing that since I was like 12. Frank, you know the deal. You know, when you're on a limited budget kind of growing up, you know, you don't have the, all the money in the world to go out and play, you know, group lessons five, six times a week. So you kind of make it on your own um yeah so i would say kind of go roll with that i i actually funny enough that you mentioned the usc leagues i was actually going to be more of an advocate for that um i tried out a league for the first time this summer and i'd always been kind of hesitant to play i wasn't sure of the level um on, on the 5-0 level uh but it was a great experience uh it's always two doubles one singles it's pretty cool you know you get to have some some beers and pizza after the matches and it's pretty competitive uh, and a buddy of mine, actually, he mentioned that he went to the they won the sectional um, tournament for their league and they went up to the nationals in Arizona. So I think the league, the league situation is actually pretty good. Um, again, it depends on where you are. We're clearly in a big metropolitan area. So we're kind of may we might be a little bit more spoiled than other sections um, yep. just because of the close proximity and the, and the population and whatnot. But um, yeah, I would say USA leagues are a really good way to go. Yeah, I so similar sort of thing to Marcus. I for the first time have been doing a USTA league starting uh, this fall, like about a month and a half ago, and and I've had really nothing but a, a really nice experience with it. Um, 
you know, it's, it's just a really nice way to sort of get in, you know, even if it's just practice, like my, my group and team has practices, which is kind of nice. So, oh, really? you know, once a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So once a week, we'll like try to schedule a practice and it's doubles. So it's splitting a court four ways, which is not bad at all, really. And wow. Yeah, you know, didn't, it kind of works. Not, not every team does that. That's for sure. Yeah, which which I think is, is sort of what I wanted to elaborate on the USCA leagues is it, it, they're really effective when you have a good captain and you have uh, like a good a, a, like basically just a good captain that keeps everybody organized and keeps everybody engaged. Because if you have somebody who's kind of just like cowboying it and texting you like two hours beforehand, hey, we got a match tonight. Can you play like that's not going to be very much fun. <laughs> Definitely not going to fly. No, no, it's not fun. So I think. If you have a good captain, USDA leagues are great. They're a lot of fun. And and like Marcus alluded to, you can kind of get into a situation where if you're on a good team, you can make sectionals. And from sectionals, you go to nationals. And it's a lot of fun. And, and it's nice. Um, you know, the, the one I would say downside is that if you have friends that are on multiple levels, like, you know, Marcus and myself, for example, um, you know, we wouldn't necessarily be able to be on the same team together or play each other ever. And, and, you know, that's, that's probably the one downside. Um, if you have friends of various skill levels, but the benefit of that is you're always playing somebody who's really competitive with you. You're always having a good match and it's, it's fun. And it's a good way to meet new people like Marcus said. And I think that's, the most important part of of tennis uh, and surviving indoor season and and even outdoor season i think this applies to too Absolutely. you know the more people that you have to hit with the more you're going to be able to play the better you're going to become the more you're going to enjoy the sport and it all sort of just filters and cycles from there yeah for sure and you know what i was actually pleasantly surprised about frank is that the prices of these usc lakes are not bad at all i'm pretty sure it's like a 35 dollars sign up fee just for the the team which covers yep. the whole season and it's a 50 um, i think it's 50 dollars a year for the usta membership if i'm remembering right. yeah it might be 75 something like that oh i'm paying i think it's like 40 oh okay yeah so i was right 50 no so i was right 50 is 50 is the number okay yeah it's like 40 50 covers you for the whole year obviously you can do you know you can play tournaments leagues sign up for whatever you want to do with that um but the actual league itself you pay 35 bucks as a sign up fee and then when you you only pay when you play home matches so uh let's say your you know your team is designated home as whatever club uh you might have to pay like whatever 25 bucks per match but think about if you're going to go book a court with some friends, or if you want to go book a court on your own, you know, it might be $40, $50 a person, considering that these prices are usually anywhere between $90 to $120 an hour. Again, this is in New York City metropolitan area. It could be very different from where from where you are, but this is how it is for us. So this is kind of why the league, the league situation makes more sense. And then away matches, you get to play for free, which, I mean, is great you know you all you're basically getting a free two-hour court time indoors which is fantastic yeah um and and you know sort of to elaborate on the the league thing further and the social aspects of it you know once you have these people that you meet on your team and then whatever you know that sort of opens up channels into more of the country club side of the of tennis as well. Uh, I don't know if you've had that experience, but that's something I have. Ooh, is, depends, on, depends on who you're playing with. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess I've just gotten lucky with playing with like doctors and lawyers and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, for me, like I've now gotten the opportunity to like be a part of like a little group that 
sort of plays at like a country club in Long Island every Thursday night from like nine to 11 and it's $25 or whatever amount it is for, you know, two hours of court time. But because we get like a nice group of people out, it's sort of manageable. We get to meet up and it's basically like a USDA league practice. It's awesome. So it's, um, it's really great. And that's like a consistent thing. Every Thursday I have uh, from somebody that I met through a, from a USCA league, which is great. Yeah, absolutely. And um, another thing that I wanted to mention as far as like indoor, uh, you know, kind of playing indoors, obviously tournaments, another great option. Um, they, they could be a little bit on the pricier side and you might not get as much out of it. Uh, but that's also sure. That's if you're really competitive, I would say, if you want to go play some tournaments, it's kind of like, you know, usually there's single elimination. So it's kind of more cutthroat. But you also meet some people. Um, one of my good friends, Pete, uh, I met him at a tournament, actually. And ever since we've been uh, we've been playing a lot and, and doing some other things even outside of tennis. Um, so that's a great way to do it. Also, Frank, I think this one is really important for the indoor season, especially for people who are either. It does actually what matter what level you're on currently. But if you want to take your your you know level play to the next uh you know to the next level is i think private lessons are a really good thing to do in the winter um and, and hear me out i think i haven't ta- i personally haven't taken a private lesson in years i would really like to though soon um because that's really a time where you can kind of work on a lot of technical things in your game and since you're already paying for the court and you're already paying kind of a decent amount of money, you might as well just pay a little extra more to get some really good coaching um, from, from a good local pro. And I think that that and you can work. The great thing about that is you can work on what you're using from those private lessons and kind of translate it to your league or your tournament or your or your practices, mm-hmm. whatever you're doing. Yeah, I, I so it's it's funny that you mentioned that I, I was thinking the exact same thing. I think private lessons in the winter make a ton of sense. You're already paying for the court time. Why wouldn't you maximize your court time by basically having somebody there to coach you, be your hitting partner, give you constructive feedback? It's just a home run to me. Uh, also, this is more for uh, our folks that are from smaller towns and not necessarily from the metros areas. Those local pros that give tennis lessons are the key to the entire scene. Right. I mean, they're the ones that sort of know they're the ones that know the lay of the land. They know all the players. They'll be able to sort of hook you up with their other students and say, hey, you know, I have another student. He's around your level. Why don't you two try to hit together, et cetera? Those are the type of things that that I think are really key for smaller towns. And then you could also get to a point where you're like, hey, you know, why don't we split this private lesson together? And then you're, again, further lowering the cost of, of playing and you're still getting a ton out of it. So, yeah, semi-privates, uh, fantastic option. Good point. Semi-privates, I think, are home runs. Uh, maybe that should be a podcast episode, right? That we're going we're, we're gonna to write that down. Maybe Marcus right. and Frankie will yeah. do a semi-private together. <laughs> oh, my God. That I, how would how would we even oh god I'm not even how would we even structure that? <laughs> um, I don't know. There might be have to be a video aspect of that lesson as well of of that uh, podcast episode as well, which, which will be kind of funny. Yeah, absolutely. We're linking that if that happens. Uh, correct, correct. We actually probably should have recorded or taken some photos today of us playing doubles because I was there was there was a lot of interesting moments this uh evening as well yeah quick one for our, our listeners here um frank just has huge cojones when someone gets a bouncing overhead he just stands at the net and actually moves forward a little bit and takes the volley straight out of the air 
even though there's like 120 mile an hour overhead coming right at him. So kudos to Frank for doing that. Yeah, it's it's funny about that because Marcus just before or like probably like a few games beforehand had told me don't stand up at the service line when they're hitting an overhead. That's a bad play. And I was like, which it no. is. And I said, no, like I got it. Like <laughs> I, this is where I prefer to stand. And um, sure enough, a few a few games later, like, uh, you know, the, one of the people we were playing against, I had an overhead from about like the service line, maybe a little bit back, but uh, had an overhead hits it right at me. I'm standing at the service line. I deflect it right back at him and, and we win the point. And, and Marcus is just standing there dumb faced. And I'm like, you know, I, I, I know a thing or two, huh? Yeah, no, I was, yeah, I don't know. It was like, it was like, you know what? It, it was just like a, clearly it was just like a situation where I was like, all right, that, that was pretty sick. Like, yeah, that, <laughs> like that, that was really sick. So uh, I, by no, far, by far the best line of the day had to come from your dad though. Your dad, by far the best line of the day. Frankie, stop pulling your, on the, these unorthodox winners out of your ass and and my response to uh to marcus as we were walking back after his dad said that was it's not pulling it out of your ass if you do it consistently yeah yeah no that's frank for you you know um anyways we we just got a little off topic there but that's all right um yeah uh, but it, 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 that, totally. it's not it's not off topic it's kind of relevant to, to what we're talking about hey, listen know, we, we this enjoy is how you meet people you enjoy doubles you have fun and you know, exactly and you know what the, and today the... was one of those days where it was one of our probably one of our last nice outdoor sessions for a long time um, i considered i considered today to be the last outdoor session that i'm probably gonna have until probably february march yeah, which we're about, to, which we're going to get into a little bit later about like what what kind of weather you're willing to play in. But first, before we do that, we're going to get into how to see. So the most the biggest problem for people playing indoors is that it, it costs a lot of money. There's no secret about that. Indoor courts can be expensive and, and you know, it compounds it accumulates uh, over the course of the winter and how much money you're spending. So. How do you avoid spending too much money, Frank? Um, first thing I would recommend is obviously group lessons because you're paying a lot. You're still getting instructions. You're getting four people, six people maybe on the court. Six is maybe a bit much, but at least you get a four-person thing. Split four ways. Um, second way to do it, semi-private lessons. Great option if you're not willing to go with the, you know, pay the full money for the for the private lesson. Um, and third is to really, you need to figure out how how much you like to play set yourself a really a manageable schedule that you can actually commit to. And then you can kind of figure out like the pricing scheme of it. Um, the way, the way that I personally do it is I've, I've been teaching for quite a bit. So if you're able to actually go coach some tennis, even if it's volunteer, uh, you know, like some volunteer hours, I do that um, in exchange for free court time. So I actually don't receive the hourly pay that I'm supposed to. I say, you know, I make a, make a deal with kind of like the manager of a club and I say, Hey, listen, I'll, I'll come and teach a few lessons for free. Um, you know, if you, if you let me play, you know, use the court time for free. Yeah. Now, not every, yeah, now, not everyone can do that, obviously. Right. It, <clears throat> it's, it's not an option for everybody, but if you are, if you do have that sort of desire to do something like that, it's something that you can absolutely bring up with club management. Um, and again, connections from clinics, tournaments, all that jazz, also playing here, Frank, here's a really good one for you. Playing really early mornings. And I know it sucks because most people don't really like to get up that early, but playing anywhere between 10 a.m. where the courts are much cheaper than prime time. Yeah. 
yeah, at six to eight a.m. and then another one is nine to eleven p.m. It's the same thing. Um, Absolutely, that's another that's another out a few hours that these places you know need. Uh, yeah, I, I think we've sort of been alluding to the the way to make the indoor season cost effective throughout our suggestions, but the one that uh, you know I I don't think I had mentioned yet uh, that Marcus was in in some way alluding to there is. If you have somebody that you like, let's say over the summer, you meet your hitting partner, meet somebody similar level, you guys get along, same, you know, sort of goals in mind, whatever. A really smart thing to do to consider is go to one of these clubs and say, hey, I would like to book this court at this time every week for the entire set like season. Mm -hmm. And usually if you're picking an off-peak time, like Marcus said, 6 to 8 a.m., 9 to 11 p.m., they will give you a discounted rate on top of you know, the off-peak hours if you're willing to commit weekly. And that could be a way for you to guarantee you'll get your one you know, day of play-in per, per week for the entire indoor season at what is the most co- that that is the most cost-effective way, technically. Um and if you have somebody that's in a similar financial position to you, that really works out. If you want to just have two people, best case scenario, you have four people that can do it with you and you split the court time in four for the entire season, which would be tremendous if you can do that. Yeah, that's absolutely cost effective. And that's actually kind of something I was actually going to bring up. So um, obviously, Frank, you saw my dad again today. So my dad is a member of, of, of a club out here on Long Island. Um, so th- now some clubs have this this setup where you can actually pay like a monthly membership fee, which is what he does. It's like maybe $35 a month or something. Uh, he gets and through that membership. He also he gets discounted rate on courts. So he usually plays either early morning or he does like late at night, kind of like we were speaking about. And through this uh, kind of monthly membership, they also give him comp time, which is complimentary court time. Uh, they give it to him at least once or twice a month. So he'll just walk in and they'll be like, yep, today's for free, which is great. And I think that another key, again, tennis is such a social sport and people are willing to help you out is you really got to speak with management and, you know, you can work out deals. You know what I mean? They're willing. They, they want to have the place full. The worst thing that a tennis club wants is just to have empty courts. So they're willing to fill those courts up you know at maybe at a lower price if you can commit to kind of a longer um longer time frame like frank just mentioned like a seasonal situation yeah i think the seasonal situation is something that i'm going to try to do maybe next year i think it's a little bit i'm still trying to figure out some stuff for this year but i think next winter i'm really going to try to get like a group together and 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 just go for that because i think it's just such a solid option that's ridiculously cost effective um and listen even some of these clubs for outdoor season i think is great i mean you can still take advantage of that membership during the outdoors and you'll get premium facilities and premium like court time and uh tennis and this i think will be a a separate podcast topic but tennis is an expensive sport it always has been it probably always will be and it's about finding ways to make it as cost effective as possible, which is something that, you know, Marcus and I, that's, that's, I think one of the real goals for this podcast is to show you all ways to make this seemingly country club game as affordable as possible. And and we know a lot of these things because 
together we've been playing this game now for 40 years together 20 years for me and 20 years for you so you know we we just have this experience and we and and tennis has grown so much from covid and that's been really great for me to see uh, as well as marcus and we want to continue so that has, momentum so has pickleball unfortunately it just had to ruin it um <laughs> <laughs> and that's something that we'd really like to see continue but we know that it's expensive for a lot of people and we want to present these options to you as sort of a way to make it a consistent thing in your life um whether you're a beginner or you know somebody that's at the collegiate level yeah um and and another part of kind of indoor tennis obviously so why we love the outdoor season so much is because you can kind of play through our public court system here in america you can kind of play whenever you want so if you want to go out and play seven days a week you know kind of like be my guest type thing um in the winter obviously due to budgeting concerns and financial you know concerns for for most people um, you're not going to be able to play seven times a week or however many times you want to. So another thing Frank and I wanted to discuss is kind of how you should manage your tennis schedule in the winter as far as like what type of playing you're doing, but also how often. So, yeah, um, I would say ever since actually ever since graduating college, I I was always a person who needed to practice a lot. I always thought, OK, I need to play like five, six times a week and I need to play every day. Otherwise, oh, my God, if I don't play for two or three days, I'm going to be horrible when I come back. Once I started playing less after college, just due to kind of my work schedule and, you know, not as many having not as many people around to play with. I noticed that if I played just like between three or four times a week, I can maintain my game extremely well. I don't know how you feel about that, Frank. Yeah, so this is actually something that Tennis Nerd brought up. For those of you who are not aware of Tennis Nerd, it's a YouTube channel. Uh, it's a YouTube channel called Tennis Nerd. He's fantastic. He reviews um, a lot of sort of tennis gear. Talks about like the nerdy side of the game. Hence the channel name. Yep. Uh, he's fantastic. Um, <clears throat> and in one of his Q and A's, this question was brought up: like, how many times a week? Do you think you have to play to improve, maintain your level or regress? And I think that my sort of answer to this was if you play once a week, you will slowly regress. You will keep your hand-eye coordination, but like you won't actually be able to improve on anything that you are trying to build. Like just, just once a week, you just won't do it. Uh, I think if you play two times a week, you will maintain your level. Like your fitness will maybe very slightly drop off if you're not doing anything for the other days. But twice a week, you'll 100% keep your hand eye. You'll probably be able to slowly work on stuff that'll make it so that way your game sort of just make plateaus, maintains. Uh, and then I think if you're playing three plus times a week, at that point, you will inevitably improve. I think... It, just from the fitness gains of loan of playing four times a week, let's say you will improve uh, because one of the first things that goes, I believe it is the first thing that goes when you stop playing tennis is your fitness. And this is something that I can really like talk about because I did stop playing tennis for a number of years. That was the hardest thing to get back was, was that tennis fitness of being able to hit a ball and rally for like an hour plus. Yeah. Tennis fitness is a lot different from other type of like, fitness um you know like even right now um i'm training for the new york city marathon which i'm going to be running next week so the last three months i've been doing a lot of like running endurance training and i kind of i took a backseat on tennis only playing maybe like once or twice a week um and a couple of weeks ago i was set you know set to go play a match and uh on, on, on like the weekend where i had didn't have as much training for the marathon and i remember i was gassed 
man, I was gassed just because tennis fitness is just a whole different game than just regular endurance training. Completely, completely different animal. I mean, when before I started playing again, I was like doing like stationary bike. Like I was like racking up like a couple of miles a day on that. Like I was running. I was I was in like decent cardiovascular shape. But I mean, I hit a tennis court with those like short sort of high intensity bursts, as well as like just swinging the racket as is an activity in itself. Absolutely. And I would say after like 20 minutes, I was just like gasping for air. Like it is, it is, it's a very, it's a very difficult, another level um, of, of fitness compared to just your standard uh, endurance training, like Marcus said. So I think if you play three to four times a week, you're going to inevitably sort of gain in fitness level. And, and that's going to, really be i think most people's sweet spot for the indoor season i think it's my sweet spot is if i'm able to play three to five hours a week that's really like okay like i'm improving on my game my fitness is you know being maintained if not improving like i'm in a good spot yeah and i think that that's kind of why we also alluded to maybe the private lessons in the winter is that if you're gonna gonna you know if you're gonna play like three to five hours a week um take one or two of those hours and really focus on the quality of your game and and some technical stuff that you're really not really interested in maybe doing in the summer just because you want to go out and have fun and play with your friends um you know and you're not really willing to go spend maybe that extra money you know because you could just go out and play with you know play at a park or something i think that's really where you know you can make some serious strides in the technical side of your game um as far as the fitness side yeah, you just kind of kind of work out regularly and kind of mimic, mm-hmm. you know, do some high interval training on your other days if you if you really want to keep up your fitness standard for yeah. your tennis instead of, you know, just going out to the court. So, uh, uh let me let me ask you this, Marcus. Sure. Yeah. Let's say you're playing 5 hours a week. Yeah. All right. Of those 5 hours, how would you break the, those 5 hours down? What would you be doing? Um, okay, so just purely tennis, right? Purely tennis, you've got 5 hours of court time. What are you doing? Mm. Good question. Okay, so I'm definitely going to play. I'm definitely going to do at least one to two just straight up like kind of like hitting sessions, doing a lot of down the line cross courts, uh, some pattern drills, you know, good vol- you know, volleys, overheads, maybe play a tie break at the end. Not necessarily, but just really get a feel for the ball, get some really good rhythm and some good kind of like tennis fitness out of that. Um, ideally if I had some, I would maybe probably do a group lesson, do like more high intensity, maybe some cardio tennis or something, um, you know, a couple of guys and play a lot of doubles points and stuff. Um, doubles is great, great for the winter, by the way, obviously, cause you split court costs and it's a lot of fun. Um, and then I would try to play one or two, at least one time a week. I would like to play sets for sure. Um, set play is something that you got to kind of consistently do. I've noticed that over the last six months, I, I play with my one friend, Justin, and we only do kind of like baseline games just for, you know, the workout. And uh, we, we get a lot more out of it because we both serve pretty big. So we don't really play many long points. However, when I get thrown into like sort of a sudden match situation where like if I sign up for a tournament or something and I try to practice sets just like a, a week before, I'm completely out of it. I have no idea how to even move, how to manage myself, how to manage my, you know, just kind of like managing a tennis match is kind of in in and of itself its own science. And I'm not really used to that. So I would definitely try to get at least set play in once a week, get that really competitive fire, focus in on, you know, how a match setting would be like. So um, that's how I would do it, Frank. I don't know how you would do it. Uh, 
you know, it depends, really depends on your needs, but how would you do it? Yeah. So I think I'm, I'm sort of similar. Uh, I would say for me, it would be slightly different. I, I would do one hour of rallying with a friend. I think inevitably just, that's just my, that that's the most enjoyable thing for me. So I would only dedicate one hour to it because I think that the way that you improve in tennis is by being uncomfortable, quite honestly. So yeah, that's for a lot of things in life. Yeah. yeah, Unfortunately, that's just the truth. So I'm always very comfortable rallying and, and like I, I need to put myself in uncomfortable situations to improve. So I would dedicate one hour to rallying. I would dedicate uh, two hours to like Marcus said, a cardio sort of clinic. I would say that's, those are great. Um, and then I would dedicate two hours to, uh, like a tournament match play, because I think for me, the thing that I struggle with the most is I feel like my level when I'm playing and practicing, when there's nothing on the line is one, when I enter into a tournament, it's completely different. I notice that when I'm in a tournament, I really tighten up. I really like get nervous. And that's something that I've really been trying to work on and overcome. And the only way that that happens is by playing more tournaments and by playing more match play and putting myself in those situations more. And, you know, it's not going to be great at first, but that's the way that you improve. And I feel like ultimately with these tournaments, when you first start playing tennis again in my situation, you just need to learn how to clean your strokes up, get your fitness back, you know, die, cross your T's, dot your I's, that that sort of thing. The next level of, of tennis is how do I win points? How do I win sets? How do I construct points? And ultimately, all of that stuff only happens really in tournaments. Even if you're playing a set with a friend, there is a level of looseness that comes from that because there's nothing on the line, right? You're just playing with your friend. You know, if you miss a ball, you lose the set. Who cares? You know, it's not going anywhere. <laughs> right. But if you're playing it for real, like in a USTA league, which is another reason why I really like those. If you're doing it at a UTR tournament, which is another reason why I like those, there's something on the line there. Right. This is all going on your quote unquote record. It counts. So, you know, it gives you that pressure. And, and, and I think that's how you really learn to improve absolutely and frank just absolutely hit it right on the head playing getting getting match tough the only really way to get match tough and to really improve yourself as a tennis player is to go play matches um sanctioned matches leagues tournaments um you know hit, hitting up your friend on a, every weekend to go play a training match it's great you know it's good practice and you can kind of simulate it as much as you can if both players are taking it seriously but the real deal yeah, yeah when you go you know when you go to a tournament desk Listen, let me be clear. Rallying is super important. That is so important for your game. It's important to get, that's how you're going to get your fitness. That's how you're going to, you know, work on, you know, anything that you need to practice, like to, to work out the kinks on in terms of your ball striking. That's how you get good ball striking is by rallying and playing with your friend loosely and not necessarily having to worry about the ball going in or out. You're just working on something with your form or your technique, but in terms of actually applying it, you're not going to get it from anything else other than tournament and match play. 
Yep, absolutely. Uh, th- there's no other way around it. And, you know, that that kind of that adrenaline rush that you get when you play a tournament, you go up to the desk, you know, there's other players around. There's uh, you can cut the tension with a knife. You know, you, can, you go pick up the balls and you go out to the court and you're like, oh, my God, this actually means something. It's a whole different experience than if you're just meeting up with your buddy every Saturday to go play some yeah. sets. It's totally different. There's there's not really, and you can you can tell me if you disagree, but there's not a situation where I'm rallying with my like like you, right? On a weekday after work, whatever, where my heart rate is really starting to climb, even though I'm just standing still at the baseline about to serve. That just doesn't happen when I'm rallying with you. When I'm just you know hitting with you. That happens in a tournament when it's deuce on my serve. I'm up a break and I need to win this game to close out the set. Yeah. And you need to learn how to you need to learn how to how to hit and play and serve through that adrenaline rush. That's so important. So perfect. That's that's why you need to play that sort of. And and uh, you know, what's funny. And I never really I mean, I I always notice it, but I never knew like the physiological effects of that until, you know, I, I got diagnosed with diabetes and I realized when I'm out there practicing with Frank or whoever, you know, usually my blood sugar will drop. Your body uses up carbohydrates when you play, but when you're playing a match, the adrenaline and the other stress hormones that get released into your body, my blood sugar will just skyrocket and I need to, you know, adjust in a completely different way. And I never really noticed that obviously growing up, I didn't have diabetes when I got, I was like, wow, this is amazing how your body kind of reacts to this type of stressful situation. Um, you know, and yeah, it, it, it makes a huge difference. So, um, Frank, last thing uh, we want to talk about here as far as the indoor season, I think this is kind of the, the nail on the head here, um, is playing outside, <laughs> sucking it up playing outside for me i mean i'm a little bit crazy but anything above 35 degrees fahrenheit is absolutely playable as long as those balls can bounce let's get out there dress warm keep moving and let's play what are your thoughts you said 35 degrees fahrenheit correct i said 45 so i'm not really that far off from you there's a difference between 45 and 35 Ah, whatever. I think, yeah, I I think if it's above 40, if it's 45 or above, I'll play outside. Um, I think once you go below 45, I think at that point, the pressure and the ball can just go away (laughs) and you're not necessarily playing uh, in the most ideal conditions. And, and, you know, I don't don't know if you're getting most a lot out of that. I also uh, this is a me thing. I don't really like playing in layers like a sweatshirts and long pants and whatever like oh i mean it's not ideal for sure yeah um, I, I like like the most i'll put on is like under armor on my legs and my bot and my you know my torso like underneath a shirt and underneath shorts but like if you ask me to put on more than that like i feel like i'm i'm constricted and i'm not getting like proper ball striking at that point yeah i mean i mean you're not but you also i don't know i feel like after about 10 or 15 minutes of just intense straight hitting your body really starts to warm up and then you're able to take those layers off slowly and then you can start to really hit the ball well and, and hit it a little bit better obviously when it's cold out it, when it, i like playing in the cold it makes for a very interesting game because the ball's barely bouncing and it's really slow so you got to be really methodical in how you in how you play points. Um, and, and that's the last, true. That's right? a very good point because of the slowness that occurs 
it is a wildly different game than playing, let's say in June, in July or something like that. Oh, I, yeah, I actually felt that. Yeah, I felt that the other day I had a match that was actually inside and the the fan was not working. So it was super humid. So that's already going to make the court really slow. But on top of that, it was still actually kind of cold. Um, and it was the slowest indoor hard court that I think I have ever played on in my life. And it was like the, the most fascinating sort of uh, match that I've had in a long time. Yeah, and we're gonna I'm gonna write that down for another podcast episode. Conditions and tennis. This is a great idea. Glad we talked about this because yeah, it, conditions it completely change the way you play. And you know, listen, playing on a nice heated indoor hard court in, in January is a lot different than going out and playing 35 degrees Fahrenheit. So you know, it's, yeah, it's a lot different. Yeah, I also played on a cold, damp clay court, indoor clay court, uh, the other week, and that Slow was. Point. I mean, that ball was just like, I felt like I couldn't hit an ace basically. No, you're never, <laughs> so my, no, my yeah. solution, my solution to that was just go for as much kick as possible. Hope it hits some dirt or a line and just <laughs> goes up towards the ceiling. <laughs> yeah. And you know, what's funny actually in, in that situation, if it's a cold, damn court, the kick serves not going to bounce like it would when it's like really hot on a hot, dry clay court. But the move there, Frank, work on that drop shot uh yeah unfortunately some of us lack skill so that's gonna be a no from me <laughs> oh come on i saw some sick volleys from you today don't lie uh i did have that really insane backhand volley that was that was dirt that was a good one so there we go yeah. um yeah, yeah. So anyways, that's uh, that's Frank and I's review of how to kind of make it through the indoor season. If you have any comments, thoughts, questions, concerns, please uh, hit us up on Instagram at breakpointpodcast7 or email us at breakpointpodcast7 at gmail.com. Um, yeah. So And Frank truthfully, listen, if you'd like to be a guest on the show, if there's something that we've said that you think is a scorching hot take, like my Yonex take, apparently. Uh, please. <laughs> Shout out to Pablos. <laughs> please come on the podcast and talk. That's why we have this. Is we, we have this because we're two guys that have a lot of hot takes about tennis. We talk about tennis all the time. We text each other about it. And, you know, we just wanted a formal place to post it and, and, and get other people in on the discussion. So uh, by all means, you're welcome on the podcast. I think we might be doing sort of a, a Q&A podcast where you know we have some people just just throwing us in some questions that we answer and we'll just sort of freestyle it from there so be on the lookout for that and uh i think that's going to wrap it up for this episode so thank you guys for listening and we'll see you next time all right, all right. take it easy guys